Um, hi, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the wonderful foot and I'm pretty sure this is the topic most people want to come and uh, talk about when we get onto the, the foot node programme and the foot involved with the foot collective. Um, so we're going to deep dive into some really interesting myth busting today. We're going to talk about footwear, which I know is a contentious issue, but we're going to get stuck right in there. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about some of the cool features of the foot. Um, so over to you, Katie. Oh my gosh, we're just diving right in. Um, well, stop me if I get too far into this, but I'm just going to start listing off some facts. And once I get too deep, you just stop me from ranting. <laughs> but let's just appreciate the foot. So it has 26 bones, it has 33 joints, four layers of muscles, and then the very important windless mechanism, which is basically the ability to take the foot from like a rigid lever, lever, wherever you're from into a mobile adapter and that's huge and that's like something that we miss out on with shoes depending on the shoe that you're wearing yeah 100 percent um i always think the really interesting thing about the the foot and the general structure is you've kind of got like this sort of i suppose series of joints that all gets lumped together but it's really capable it's capable of doing some really in cool movements adapting to terrain but there's something so like evolutionary perfect about this like joint series because what it's enabled us to do is become long distance runners and <clears throat> allow us to adapt to lots of terrains and it's we've been left with this sort of evolutionary hangover of things like shorter toes but a really cool uh, big toe i'm going to say really cool a lot tonight because i think this is one of my <laughs> topics so cool um, really cool <laughs> really cool really sad for me um anyway but we also have things like these fat pads that have deformation deformation limits so you've got a really uh, thick fat pad under your heel and another one under the toes and again they're able to sort of inform your body about what's potentially deleterious or dangerous and what's acceptable so for example like if you go out and run barefoot on hard ground and you heel strike hard that fat pad gets deformed and it hurts. And that's basically like sensory input saying, mm, if you continue doing this, we're going to get injured. So that's really interesting. And I think, like I said, it's, it's equipped with all these sensory receptors that feed back to the brain about position and different types of terrain. And you mentioned that it, it changes from being a rigid lever to an adapter. It does all of that with hardly any input from the brain. Obviously, we've got all these nice cues from like visual cues, etc. But the foot right. does its job with minimal input from the brain because it has to adapt within milliseconds and that's that's pretty epic isn't it we don't really we don't really focus in on how cool how cool um, how cool <laughs> the structure is but there's so many wicked little innovations just on right. that joint series that yeah and that gives you like a really good idea of how much sensory feedback like how much is actually going on in the foot it's almost the same as the hand right the amount of feedback that we can get yeah and basically the whole point of this talk is that like when you when you take away that you're taking away a huge part of your foot or, or a huge part of your body yeah right yeah. and you know it, it it's so um what's the word i'm looking for it's, it's so attuned to our environmental cue. So we always have this thing with um, our students where I get them when they're going to, when we talk about sort of early stage ankle rehab for people who've had ankle sprains, you know, one of the first things I get my students to consider is place the foot on different surfaces because what you get is this really nice sensory rich or exposure to different sensations that starts building up that, that sensory feedback and the proprioceptive feedback. 
and that's right. really powerful in injury rehab. I yeah, talk about that for ages. Um, <laughs> so we'll don't sw- get her started. <laughs> we'll swiftly move on. Um, so you've mentioned some other, uh, I suppose, different um, uh, innovations within the foot. The fact that it changes from mobile to um, adaptive. Uh, sorry, mobile to rigid. The other thing that I'm really interested in is this four layers of muscle tissue. And I'm on a bit of a one woman mission at the minute because in sort of strength and conditioning, we don't really consider the foot in our training paradigm yet. You think we train everything else, don't we? In athletic performance, we train, you know, other, other body areas and parts. And I just, right. the foot's one of these things that has the, the capacity to impact everything above everything. it. Everything. Yet we don't do any training for it. Right. But it's got four, four layers of really important muscles that can impact yeah. the lower limb. Um, so should we have a talk about some of those key muscles and maybe what their, what their jobs are and how they're engaged in, in gait, et cetera? Sure. Should we get into that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <Heck> yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we start off with the big old post-tib tendon or post-tib? Sorry. Oh yeah. Let's do it. Posterior tibialis, right? Is that what you guys call it? <laughs> yeah, we do. I feel like sometimes it's reversed depending on what think, part of the world you're in. Sometimes I just flip between saying tip post and post. I, I just. <laughs> They're interchangeable. Yeah. Good. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Nine but... insertion points on the foot. Let's just say that. Let's just get that right out of the way because there's no other muscle in the body that does that. Right. That's exactly. amazing. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because like, if you work in rehab, you are made aware of things like, uh, tip post dysfunction, association with ankle sprains. But when you actually break it down and think what it, what it does within the foot, what its job is within the foot, how it impacts toe motion, how it impacts like the rigidity of the foot. It's crazy, right. isn't it? Because it has such a big job. Um, right. And I've seen some of the notes you've made about what it can impact higher up. So I wondered if you could talk us through that. Yeah. Well, and so it's also, I think it's the only muscle that's on throughout the entire stance phase of the gait cycle, which, so that just shows its importance as well. But basically going up the chain, it can decrease the hip abduction. So to, to kind of sum it up, if you think about your foot being totally flat, <laughs> but like a good flat, right? It's just on the ground towing off. Um, if that foot, if the post tib is weakened, then that the medial arch is going to collapse right in. And so that's what people usually see see as like fallen arches or whatever you want to call it. But you can imagine what that would do to the rest of the hip. So if your foot is internally rotated, the rest of your leg is going to be internally rotated to some degree. And so that decreases our hip abductors, which are like our glute med min on the the sides of our hips, Um, decreased torque, it decreases the endurance of those muscles since they can't be on. (laughs) And then it just all around decreases our hip extension endurance because we're not pushing straight through. Yeah. I mean, that, that can again have a real cascade of effects, can't it? So we see bigger changes or changes in sort of proximal structures, which is really impactful. And when we come to talk about the hip, which we've already recorded, we talk about this whole idea of, oh, you know, just do some clamshells and that'll, that'll solve you. (laughs) your hip adduction problem, but it might be actually be something a little bit further down the chain. Right. Um, and it's, I suppose it's, it's kind of like classed as the anti-pronator muscle, isn't it? Now, what I find really interesting about um, muscle function within the foot 
is you essentially have passive structures and those passive structures are almost like, I always think about them being like an elastic band or a spring and they're really responsive to um, terrain changes. And the muscles do a job. So they are, like you've, said, uh, like you've mentioned, tensioned, but their primary role in foot function, foot behavior is really to control the amount of um, stiffness and passive stiffness within the tissue. So they don't necessarily control the um, amount of pronation per se, but they, they tune the amount of stiffness within the foot. So we have really important passive structures like plantar fascia, um, we have the spring ligament, um, there are lots of other ligaments as well, but there's quite a few of them, so we probably won't list all those off. <laughs> we'll get into that some other time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you, you have these really important active muscles that control the passive tension within the foot. And therefore, right. um, and this is why there's so little input needed from sort of the higher central nervous system, because what you have locally is these muscles that are able to tune the amount of rigidity and they're able to tune the amount of um, mobile adaptation. But what that also gives us is this really cheap source of energy because every time your foot hits the ground, we know you get deformation in these really cool fat pads. Um, but we also get, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really sad life, I'm sorry. Um, but we also get a change in the length of the plantar fascia and that, as that gets lengthened, it then recoils and that returns basically cheap energy because it has such little um, muscle input and therefore there's no cost associated with it. However, when we see dysfunction in some of those, however, because there's always a caveat, isn't there? Here it comes. <laughs> you can imagine in clinic how excited I am to deliver bad news. However, um, when you have something like uh, post-tip tendon dysfunction and you no longer have that um, active and passive control of the foot, then it increases the muscle cost. So then we see people exactly. who've got things like... Um, gastric problems, soleus problems. We might see people who are um, more predisposed to things like stress fractures, but generally around that region, it starts increasing the muscular cost. Right, so, post tendonitis. Yeah, exactly. So what you get is some tissues being overworked, some tissues being underworked, and generally that's kind of what leads us into that injury pathology. Um, so, yeah. you know, in, in all of that, in all of this sort of active and, and passive tissue tension, we also have really important joints within the foot. So let's have, let's have a talk about the first ray or the metatarsal phalangeal joints because we know we need to have a certain amount of movement within those. When you, okay. when you um, extend the big toe, it tightens up that plantar fascia that becomes almost like your, uh, your windless mechanism. So it's tightening up that, that nice mm -hmm. piece of passive tissue and that creates rigidity in the foot, doesn't it? Correct. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what happens when that becomes stiff. And I don't know about you, Katie, but I get so lost in the terminology for uh, hallux dysfunction because there's so many different terms about rigidity and limitation. Right. And people get really upset about which term you use, don't they? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, but, but we'll, we'll uh, yeah. keep it simple, I think. We might digress there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And another thing, um, <laughs> but also footwear impacts how well those toes move, particularly around the big toe. So we'll we'll kind of have a deep dive exactly. into that as well. Um, so I thought, 
shall we um shall we move on we've got some notes on orthotics as well which i guess we yeah. can have a little chat about in our myth busting when we get to that yeah um, right i say yeah i think we should get into footwear and then into orthotics right yeah like this is how bad it can get and then it can get really bad <laughs> yes um so the other um the other thing is we you've uh, we've mentioned as well there are other tissues within the um within the foot structure that are really important so for example some of those toe flexes and maybe we, a little bit later on we can have a chat about some training tools we can use for for the toe flexes like a towel grab um but what what specifically um about the toe flexes particularly some of those the the key toe flexes are important to um function and behavior so for example we need to go through flexion and extension at the toes we consider that the big toes got a role but maybe not some of those smaller toes so what do some of those key key toe muscles do um well i think we all most people when they're stuck in shoes a lot their metatarsal heads are going to drop down right yeah. <laughs> and so the extensors turn on <laughs> and we see cool. that like yeah. clawing of the toes yeah and so basically what our goal is for everybody across the board is to get our toes as flat as we can. And those are like the flexors, but then also the extensors to be um, not so tight and overused. So I think in a nutshell, it's trying to get the flexors to turn on, right? Yeah. And the extensors to calm down. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we kind of, a lot of people ignore that. They're just like, oh, my little toes. Yeah, they're supposed to do this. No, oh, they should be able to lay flat. Underneath. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Again, like, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, we, we have a lot of focus on the big toe, but even though the small toes don't have as much of a role in, in gait, they still stabilize, don't they? They still act as brakes. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. So those, those little toe flexors still have an important job. Yeah. And they cause pain. Right. Yeah. When everything is like all tighten in there, that's when the neuromas come on and everything else happens. Yeah. Stress fractures. So we can't um, ignore our little toes. hundred percent not. Um, so let's get into some um, genetics then, because I suppose we're going to talk about it a little bit when we go to myth busting. But one of the things that we as practitioners, uh, I suppose, focus on a lot is things like arch height. And again, mm -hmm you know, pronation is considered the root of all evil and how dare you pronate. Um, right. Again, the term, the terminology is, is really conflicting. Hyperpronation, overpronation, underpronation, right. Um, but when did that happen? I wonder I when know. did a good thing go so wrong? <laughs> Maybe we should make it our goal in life to come up with a, a term that gets widespread. Um, right. Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> if anyone wants to send in any ideas, I'll, you know, <laughs> right in. <laughs> um, and some of the things that you might come across in reading is things like, uh, so we know, we know pronation is a behavioral thing. So it happens during dynamic tasks, but you also have uh, flat feet, pes cavus, um, pes planus. So there's lots of different terms. And some of those have been related to genetics or are thought to relate to genetics, particularly around things like um, uh, flat feet or pes planus. Right. 
Um, but you've mentioned that there's no genetic link in, in foot posture. So can you talk us through that? Yeah, I don't think they, oh, through foot posture. Yeah. I think a lot of people like to blame um, their bunions on their mom or their dad or whoever, right? Yeah. I hear that all the time and it's just accepted like, oh yeah, my mom had those. So I do too, <laughs> but nope, that's not where it is. And so there is more research now to show that it's more, you're probably going to follow um, those styles that your mom wore or your mm -hmm. father, whoever, and then also share their similar posture tendencies because kids grow up and they watch their parents or they watch their older siblings. And that's usually what they end up doing. And you can kind yeah. of see it when you watch a father, son, mother, daughter, whatever. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild, but that is more what the research shows now than you had bunions. Now I'm going to have bunions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's in my genes. It's been in my family for years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody has them. Okay. And to some degree, we did make this note about hypermobility. That is like a genetic thing, right? So yeah. like some people have a little bit more joint laxity, which can then lend to a greater hallux valgus, a bunion developing, but that's about it. If you stayed out of those shoes that caused that, then you definitely wouldn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, again it's kind of one of those things isn't it we we speak about this in the, the hip but you tend to follow as you said sort of postural behaviors and patterns that you are seeing in your parents or you're seeing with your peers so in the um in the hip talk we you know we speak about females crossing legs and things like that but like you said you know right. you're gonna you're gonna conform to what is going on in your sort of social circle i guess yeah um so with that then you've mentioned footwear should we take a deep dive yes. into the footwear? Oh my gosh. I hope somebody can save us. <laughs> it's going to be so deep. <laughs> yes, um, we should probably start. Yeah. We've been building up to it. <laughs> oh, time to we get... only mentioned it with like every comment. So I guess now is the time. <laughs> so um, I, I follow a Facebook group called um, Bad Ultra Running Advice. And someone had posted about... Um, Oh, a bet is barefoot shoe. A barefoot shoe is making a comeback, and you know you're like, don't post. I know. Post I I used to post, and then I just get too mad, and so I just stopped. <laughs> like nobody's listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get really irate uh, Facebook response. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's let's deep dive into some of the footwear stuff because I suppose it's a really contentious issue for a number of reasons if you're so inclined to read scientific literature and that is really your bag um then the research is at best contentious there's there's lots of dispute within research about you know um whether it is it, you know footwear is a thing to reduce injury risk and it kind of stemmed from there was obviously growth in things like the vibrant footwear and that that created almost like a cascade and effective research in does footwear change your foot strike pattern and then does strike pattern improve running performance um, and reduce injury risk? And yes, there is a place for a discussion around that. It's just not here. Um, but ultimately, there are some um, important facts associated with footwear that can reduce injury risk. But again, it's not going by, um, going by footwear and expect things to happen overnight and for your life to be miraculously changed because you've you kind of by one shoe by one shoe <laughs> it's more about changing behaviors isn't it 
and right. into the new footwear. So again, for those of you who are, um, have been sort of following the footwear trend for a long time, you'll have noticed that there was sort of like a, a redaction about the pro uh, I guess the promises that barefoot running shoes made initially right. because all of a sudden it went from being this is going to enhance your running performance it's going to reduce your injury risk to oh no a lot of people are getting injured right now I have five new injuries yeah yeah we're now going to tell you actually you need to train to wear these etc um, right and I think what that kind of did is it created a bit of a, a witch hunt on online on social media because um, it changed people's viewpoints on, on barefoot movement and on minimalist shoes. So let, let's get into what uh, makes a minimalist shoe a minimalist shoe. I always get that always is a tongue twister. I always really struggle to say that. <laughs> um, How about natural footwear? Well, let's go with that. Um, <laughs> in fact, let, let's start with what current footwear looks like and what is what makes for more traditional shoe. So yeah. Typically, we have a narrower toe box, right? Which can lead to, uh, as you've mentioned, bunions, hallux valgus. Um, yep. <laughs> oh, it always kills me when you get someone who comes into clinic who is like, "Oh, I, you know, I've been told I have to have surgery for my bunions." What is mm -hmm. a bunion? And you're like, ah, oh, just no. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, That's like getting surgery for your. Um... Uh, oh my god, I just forgot the word, but for your your knee collapsing inwards, right? Yeah, like yeah. genu valgum, right? <laughs> it's like the same thing. <laughs> We're not gonna take your knee and just like sew it in place. It's crazy. <laughs> um yeah, so uh sorry, uh, that was me, I digressed. But you uh, they typically <laughs> have a narrow toe box. They typically have uh cushioning, but we we kind of have can have cushioning in some uh, marketed uh, natural shoes or minimalist shoes so we can have a chat about that in a moment uh, they typically um, or some of the tr more traditional shoes have arch support maybe they don't have arch support if any of you are into running you might have come across trainers that are uh, meant to be neutral supination support slash pronation support um, and they most of the time have a heel to toe differential so a difference between heel height to toe height which yeah. automatically places your foot in a slight plantar flexed problem uh, position, sorry. Right. And that's when yeah. we get issues with big toe movement, don't we? So. Right. The, um, the, t I keep, I always forget what, what they call it, but the toe up, right. For oh, running yeah. through, I forget what like the actual terminology of, but basically there are all of our toes are seated upwards while we're mm -hmm. also on a downward slope. Yeah, and it's all the pressure on those metatarsal phalangeal joints. It's meant to uh, address the natural stride of your foot. Yeah, it's going to like enhance, basically do the work for your foot, is yeah. what they're trying to do. Yeah. Now, early on, we spoke about those really cool fat pads. Um, and one of the problems with, <laughs> I know, I know, one mm -hmm. of the problems with a heavily cushioned shoe is where your heel pad would normally deform and say, ouchie, what you have is this really thick cushion under the, the heel. So it mm -hmm. takes that need for the ouchie feedback away because right. the cushioning is effectively uh, mod moderating that, that um, ground contact. So right. what it leads to is a hard heel strike in normal walking and also running. So what we end up having is these people who massively overstride because 
they've got no feedback to say this is unsafe. Yeah, because the shoe lets them. Yeah. One of the things that um, uh, shoe companies market is extra cushioning to minimize injury risk. Right. Very ironic. Yeah, because ultimately, yeah, you might minimize things like the potential for stress fractures in the heel and you might minimize the potential for stress fractures in the tip. But what you're probably doing is just predisposing the runner to more overuse injuries at the knee that knee, that rubbish right. knee joint we spoke about last time, um, <laughs> and then further up the chain at the hip. Uh, so, is there anything else I've, we've missed for footwork? I don't think so, except that also with like that extra cushion, just thinking of like the hokas or really any of them, I, they do take away your sensory feedback, yeah. right? And I know like an ultra shoe has some cushion and I run in them and it's, it's great and fine. But my foot is also flat and it's super adaptable, those shoes. So it, it, there's just that other aspect of what shoes do today. Yeah. And besides running shoes, they're, they're also super rigid, you know, like dress shoes and yeah. super rigid, just any shoe, like a Converse. Think about how rigid that thing is. It's, it's wild. People are like, oh, it's flat though. But no, <laughs> no, there's that. nothing else good about it besides that. Those toes that you meant to bend, do not bend in that type of shoe. Um, (laughs) so the difference with a more natural uh footwear versus a minimalist is you have typically a wider toe box you might have some differential between the the foot and i don't know why this is the forefoot and the heel but it is (laughs) might have some slight differential but it shouldn't really go above about three millimeters for a more um more natural footwear and they're typically wider so you're giving your foot room to adapt. Um, and that, that's particularly important because if you're doing sort of long endurance type activities with fatigue, your foot structure is going to lengthen, it's going to widen as well. So um, it's important to have that space and that room. So because we have this, uh, this very small amount of heel drop or like maximum of three millimeters, the foot isn't placed in that plantar flex position. And we don't see things like the... the um, first metatarsal phalangeal joint dropping to overcome a lack of big toe movement right or a shortened achilles <clears throat> yeah shortened achilles you know you see um uh runners out and they've got like massive calves really big calves yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can just imagine what their glutes are doing yeah they've got these huge cushion shoes <laughs> right. um so like running through sand all the time <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. so the other thing I suppose just to mention is that you might see some shoes that are marketed as minimalist because they have maybe uh, zero zero drop. So ultras are a really good example. I use ultras for uh, when I'm doing long distance running, but they still have a real thick amount of cushioning. So you still don't, don't get to access all that um, sensory feedback. You don't necessarily get that in, um feedback in terms of deformation of the underfoot so you're not necessarily getting that sensory feedback either and I think whilst it does have it does complement some of the things that you want the foot to do it's not necessarily going to allow you to get or access all the innovation right. in the structure right a hundred percent of it yeah um and the other thing that uh that kind of mentioned is more natural footwear is is flexible so it allows your toes to toes to move it allows you sort of midfoot to move and that's a really important component of what is considered to be a naturally true uh, type of footwear 
So um, here's a question for you. Have you ever had someone in your clinic who, first of all, has said, I've been told I pronate, and secondly, has gone, um, I've got these shoes because they've, they um, have told me that they're going to stop me pronating. Right. Because I need support. <laughs> That's yeah. usually what I hear. Oh, I need a lot of support. So <laughs> yes, all the time. Yeah. Huh? And try to unwind that after every doctor they've come in contact with has told them something different. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you approach that in your clinic? Because that, that's been jumped into us. You think like most, most, and I, I always use running shoes as an example. Most modern running shoes have been around since like the seventies or the right. modern style of running shoes been around about around the seventies. And you go into a running shop and they tell you pronate, you supinate, whatever you need this specific type of footwear. Oh, and by the way, here's like, 120 pound bill uh for the pleasure right <laughs> and you also need this insert to go in there because yeah. that's not going to be enough yeah yeah and now we've got carbon fiber um in there as well which is like an extra 100 pounds i don't know <laughs> it's in dollars sorry but it's expensive right yeah oh so yeah it's like you know here's this shoe that probably didn't cost me that much to make it's going to revolutionize your life because it's going to change your pronation but there's no, right. no evidence to suggest that but it's been drummed into us for a long long time hasn't it so yeah and these people have spent so much money already on their feet and finding the perfect shoe that they never find in their orthotic inserts and whatever else and now we're telling them okay now you have to buy this shoe <laughs> And you have to undo everything that you just did. And so that is a challenge, man. Yeah. But we'll get um, there. How, how do you approach in clinic? Like what have you found? Well, I start way? off, I kind of just like go back through evolution and, and say like, you realize we didn't have shoes for years and we got by fine. And it's what really like progressed our evolution. So number one, number two, is there anything else in our body that we brace constantly mm -hmm. and also do you ever look at your feet <laughs> i like to throw that in there too like we just take our feet and jam them in shoes and don't think about them don't look at them have no idea what's going on like the amount of people that i've seen that have like a huge crazy hammer toe you know like up an inch and they don't even know it's there until it's like rubbing through their shoe and then they're yeah. like well how did this happen yeah it's like we are just so lost with our feet so you know, all, I, all jokes aside, how many yeah. people do you speak to and they go, oh, no, I hate feet. Oh, I won't. No, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's the same as your hand. It's just <laughs> right? smaller and longer. <laughs> you know why it looks so gross? Because we jam it in gross shoes. <laughs> we do this to them. That's what our hand would look like. <laughs> um, uh. So here's a question for you then. So obviously we, we want to promote the use of natural footwear, um, but we know that just a change to natural footwear isn't going to fix everything. Um, it's, it's not plastered on a problem, but it's not going to address everything straight away because there needs to be some adaptation. So, but what, what changes have you seen clinically from people who've moved to more um, natural footwear? Oh, in fact, what change have you seen in yourself? Um, yeah, well, I guess if they're coming in for a foot or, I mean, a lot of times they're not even and, and they've got some stuff going on, but you automatically just see the toes start to splay out mm -hmm. and they, you take someone out of their shoe and you look at their foot right away and their foot still looks like their shoe. And yeah. it takes, takes a few sessions to like make it not look like that anymore. But that's like 
the coolest part is when they're like, wow, my foot hasn't looked like that in years. I'm like, yeah, that's what your foot is supposed to look like. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> so just like making it look like a foot again, not making it look like a shoe anymore is amazing. And then, I mean, there's like little clinical things that I can see like, oh, your toe extensors are coming down. But yeah. for them, it's just making your foot look natural again, yeah. letting it function. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um, and I think it's becoming a little bit more uh, accepted to um, wear, like, you know, kind of more, more minimalist shoes and do more things barefoot as well. Like I've seen a lot of people, uh, just as an example, starting to invest into things like toe spaces, which yes. I've been banging on about for a few years. Um, and it just so happens that kind of a big name within CrossFit started wearing toe spaces. And now everyone's like, oh, what are these right. things, Jen? Um, so that's becoming a little bit more, more acceptable. And obviously there's a lot more companies now who make uh, natural shoes. So it, there's more styles available, et cetera. Whereas the kind of historical style was always like the five finger type thing, which wasn't for everyone. Right. Um, so we see changes to things like toe splay, which is great. We obviously change the sensory feedback and um, I'm working with, uh, someone at the moment who had a stroke at 35 we've got him going in minimalist shoes with things like sensory insoles and stuff um, nice. and seeing really great changes in things like his proprioception his balance so really powerful stuff um, but the you know kind of the other thing for me is um, that it allows your foot to become adaptive doesn't it so you see change in right. that sort of like the midfoot structure as well um, which is absolutely great um, so Generally, the, the use of um, more natural running shoes is really impactful to the passive structures because we might see some lengthening of a, a very short and tight uh, plantar fascia or some of those tight um, passive structures. But we also see some, um, I guess, responsiveness within the muscles. And I, I don't like using the, I don't like the idea that, oh, it just strengthens your foot muscles because, yeah, it does. But I think it makes them a bit more... Um, responsive i guess is the word i'm looking for totally. yeah like regains control yeah yeah like it rewires some of the the tissue underneath the foot mm -hmm. um so let's let's go into some foot myths then because again you if you look if you google sort of pronation supination there's just so much out there about um about so conflicting people yeah why did i say so so much conflicting information sorry <laughs> conflicting people's right there isn't it <laughs> they are conflicted yeah. but, but for I'm, I'm thinking of for people that don't know really anything about about anatomy or their own body it's so confusing and scary and daunting and people just don't know what to do with that right and so yeah. they're going to listen to their doctor probably yeah and you know in there's some really great blogs out there but the the internet can be a dangerous place, I think, for people who, like you said, don't know about anatomy. So you might have, um, again, sort of running articles about why pronation is bad and you need to do everything to stop it, which pushes people to a, towards specific type of footwear or orthotics, which can actually take away some of the good foot behaviours you want, you want to utilise when you're doing something physically active. Um, but I think the kind of the minefield for me when you read about the foot is there is a difference between what the foot does in dynamic behaviors between uh, and what it does statically. So first of all, your arch position in static, just in normal posture, 
doesn't necessarily reflect what your foot does in dynamic tasks. So we can have right. someone who has what we would consider to be a good arch structure who pronates or excessively pronates as soon as they put load through the system because they don't necessarily have the tissue contribution to maintain the, the arch structure. Mm -hmm. Conversely, we can have someone um, with a very high arch who, again, you would think, well, they're probably going to supinate, but they can also be a excessive pronator during the right. gait cycle. So I think first and foremost, just getting yourself clear on some of the, the language and the terminology is mm -hmm. such an important step. And I have taken, I don't know about you, but I've taken so many, I've gone down so many rabbit holes where, you know, I've thought, oh, I don't, I don't know what that means. I'll go and look it up. And then all of a sudden, an hour later, I'm like, I still don't understand. <laughs> right. Wait, I didn't learn anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell you one that got me the most is uh, four foot abduction, four foot supination, um, and right. um, a plantar flexed first ray. Because yeah. People will refer to those three for the same thing and it it just blows my mind um right. so yeah. let's let's go into some foot myths anyway um yeah. what's your take on arch position and arch behavior then well i think it comes down to like the windless mechanism right mm -hmm. where we need to be mobile and we need to be rigid and that means we need pronation and we need supination so when we're rigid we're in supination and when we're mobile we're in pronation and neither is good. And I mean, both are good, but good and necessary. Neither is bad though, unless there's too much of one of those things. Yeah. So that's where like the rigid foot comes in or like the rigid high arch. Somebody says like, oh, I have a high arch. So I need like a really rigid shoe. Mm -hmm. When in reality, you're making that <clears throat> rigid foot more rigid, yeah. not letting it ever be mobile. And then same with a pronated foot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah it, again it's it's uh, an absolute minefield of information and cross information or contradicting information isn't it um right. so the other thing is like your individual foot behavior and foot structure you can have lots of different foot structures and you certainly find that again you might have, you might see this in clinic katie is not everyone's foot looks the same we often can obviously look for similarities in terms of behaviors that we don't think are, are suitable but not everyone's foot structure is exactly the same. And it all depends on things like injury history, you know, movement behavioral history. You might have things like um, adaptive behaviors. Like if you look at a ballet dancer's foot, oh yeah, they're going to have yeah. um, uh, lots of motion. <laughs> yeah. A foot, foot position that's adapted to, uh, is it on point? End point? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, um, they're going to have adapted to having a particular foot type because that, that's based on their sport. And um, I lost you there for a second, Katie. I know, I was we, like, ah. we froze for a second. I was going to let you just talk it out. <laughs> um, I could still hear you. That's good, that's good. So, yeah, we, we can have lots of different uh, foot structures or foot, uh, postures that are just related to someone's behavioral history for example so i think the first thing is um it, it really depends doesn't it like we we know there's some things that we can look for but mo you know a lot of different foot postures are still healthy aren't they they're still safe right. 
Yeah. And I think it's good to not go down the rabbit hole on yourself of figuring out like those little micro movements that you think are going to make all the difference. Yeah. And really, we just need that foot to function together as a whole, right? Yeah. Foot and ankle all together. Yeah. Um, but what, what would you consider to not be normal clinically? What would you look for normally? So like that, <laughs> the, I would say the rigid arch first gets mm -hmm. me because it's definitely overlooked and by like peers too, you know, they see like a high arch and they're like, oh, great. You got a good, strong arch. So well, that's good. But yeah. no, it, that those are, that's just stuck. That's not going anywhere. So we need to like loosen that thing up. So that, and then the typical fallen arch <laughs> and determining that I do love to show people this, that they think they have a flat foot um, or that their arches are fallen or whatever word they've been given. And then to show them that windless mechanism, like, Hey, lift your big toe up and there's your arch. And they're like, what? how did the hell that happen? <laughs> it's always a little <laughs> exciting moment, but then to be able to get people to just like lift on their own and do like the arch doming short foot, whatever exercise. Yeah. It's always very fun and to connect it to the hip. <laughs> always. And um, I think arch can be a bit of a red herring, can't it? And, it, you know, like I've had a runner in with me um, recently and she came to see me because I was looking at her running shoes one day and I was like, do you always put holes in the front of your shoes around your big toe? And she was like, yeah, I do it. I do it with every shoe. So, um, we kind of assessed her foot structure and she has what she's been told is a really great arch structure but what's happened is the um met head of the first uh, the big toes dropped so she's actually got a yeah. plantar flexed first ray and what that ends up looking like if i can show you anyone at home is like that so you get this nice arch right. but that big rays dropped so yeah when you see those people just laying down too and their toes are still pointed yeah. right up at you yeah that's a, that's a good sign for a rigid foot <laughs> Do you know when you have to have that, I hate to break it to you, but actually your arch isn't that great. <laughs> but she, the, the weird thing is she's had like stress fractures, um, you know, oh, yeah. typical yeah. heel striker. Um, but yeah, for years she's been told you've got a great arch system. So the arch can actually be a bit of a red herring and you kind of have to look at it um, functionally, don't you? You have to look at foot behaviours generally to see things like are they able to move their toes, are they able to differentiate, etc. The other thing that I think is worth noting as well is, again, we kind of demonize this whole thing with having excessive pronation, but pronation might occur to overcome a problem elsewhere. So like you take mm. ankle dorsiflexion out of the, um, out of the mix because your ankles, your kind of biggest, um, one of the most important joints in terms of managing and mitigating force and, if that job, if that ankle's not doing a job, something else has to. And in right. gait, you either see it at the knee or you see it around the sort of midfoot. And most right. of the time you see both, don't you? You see people have a lot of knee flexion in gait oh, right. and they have a lot of excessive pronation as well. Um, right. So it actually happens because it's, it's trying to resolve an issue elsewhere, isn't it? So pronation isn't necessarily, or excessive pronation isn't necessarily a problem by itself. It's probably being, being caused by something else something else yeah um but when we ha when we have these sorts of problems like uh either a high rigid arch or um a weak collapsed arch what we potentially see is problems elsewhere and they typically lead to a number of the injuries that we see in our active population so for example we might see increased risk of 
um, tibial stress syndrome or, or major tibial stress syndrome, stress fractures is really heavily associated with having a very rigid foot um, because yeah. you take away that kind of like deformation capability. Um, right. Iliotibial band syndrome, one of the key favorites, oh. isn't it? Because <laughs> generally like with those knee syndromes, uh, patellofemoral yeah. pain, blah, 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 you know, even some of the um, other types of injuries you see in other sports like jumper's knee, you basically take away a functioning hip and a mobile foot. And then right. we had this conversation in our hip. But all this, yeah, we <laughs> did. But here it is again. Here it is again. Why not? That rubbish hinge joint in the middle. Oh, it just gets all the load, doesn't it? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> just throw it out. Who needs yeah, it? Just get rid of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you see you see changes in um in sort of hip function uh so here's a question for you then uh <laughs> it's, a it's a tough one as well <laughs> oh it's related it's related to what you've put on your notes katie don't worry um, <laughs> but some would some would argue there's a relationship between glute function and foot function or foot behavior how do you mm -hmm. how do you explain that like how or how would you explain it to um to patients um i put myself in that position of like toe off to give mm -hmm. them a very good idea and about like the big toe and how much well the ankle and the big toe how much motion they both need and if i'm not there and then they do it too and and they could feel it you see your glute and you can see your hip in extension. You can see your, feel your glute firing. And that's the easiest way for me to explain it to someone to just make them do something that's requiring both things together. Yeah. Um, so that's my up? argument. <laughs> Are you stood up at the minute? What that? Are you stood up at the minute? Am I standing when I do yeah. it? Yeah. Like, have you just done it now? I feel like I, I did. Talking through it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes do it with me <laughs> everybody stand up <laughs> <laughs> but it, it creates this like this sort of cascading problem doesn't it you take away this really nice mobile uh cool foot and decrease the functionality of the the hips and the pelvis and basically you turn into a rubbish foot yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and then the knees just sat there in the middle not doing anything um, yeah, absolutely nothing absolutely nothing apart from bend extend bend and a little bit of rotation <laughs> and a little bit <laughs> and then it, it just gets all these injuries i bet the knee is like guys come on yeah yeah help me out would you get your acts together Ugh, i wouldn't be such rubbish if you just did your job <laughs> <laughs> so i'm assuming you agree with that right yeah 100%. the glutes are connected to the foot yeah um what's the song you sing as a kid like the foot bones connected the hip bone yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you can't do one without the other and i see it like across the the board of um it's not just like patients you know it's people i don't want to say yeah. people i've worked with but people in the field that miss that too you know that aren't trying to like pay attention to the big toe at all or, or dorsiflexion too much if we're really focused on the hip, you know, and it's, those two just drive each other. I think for, you know, kind of, this is very much an opinion, but I think for a lot of practitioners, maybe the, 
increase in the movement of the big toe just seems a little bit too simplistic. But I, I, you know, I also think part of the problem is you look at um, how we're taught anatomy and the foot's kind of just like lumped into one, isn't it? You yeah. Forget foot and ankle. That's yeah. It. 33 joints in there, isn't there? Like, yeah. that's insane. Right. Um, so it gets kind of lumped into one. And also, I remember learning anatomy. And you do all your, your big, like, power movement muscles, don't you? And then I right. think we maybe learn a handful of foot muscles. But it's like, yeah. oh, and these, these, these small muscles in the foot. Blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> so, so it's like, no one, no one really knows enough about the foot. Right, so exactly. In assessment, it's like, does it move up and down? Yeah right off you go your, your ankle's fine off you go <laughs> yeah a lot of people don't even look at the toes yeah. that are holding up your whole foot you know you um, watch like we talked about the squat and people go into squat and just like fall backwards because they've got no plantar flexion no no awareness of grabbing that foot down yeah to hold yourself up instead they're relying on their bone the calcaneus yeah their rocker basically and <laughs> um, so the other thing is um, you've kind of made a note here about injuries to the foot and ankle and the, the fact that it can impact a lot of, I guess, activities of daily living for quite a long time as well. Um, so do you want to talk us through that a little bit? Sure. Where is that? Oh, 6, 6D. <laughs> Lifestyle. Well, I guess I was just talking about how we ignore these injuries to our feet and how we're on our feet all day long and you really can't. And we have to appreciate that it's going to take way longer to heal something in our foot than it is for our shoulder. Let's just say, for example, yeah. that may or may not be true, but the likelihood, because we have to walk on it all day long, it just is that much more stress to our body. Yeah. Yeah, right? definitely. Um, the, I mean, the other thing is, it's, it's great that you've brought that up because again, just talking about the link between the foot and the hip, you injure the, the, the foot or the ankle. So let's take ankle sprains, for example. Ankle mm. sprains can really mess you up because they don't just Huge. impact what's happening locally. You see like postural shifts, totally. the, you know, changes to things like spinal posture because yeah. like you said, you need to load the feet all the time. And even if you kind of do have that period of um, non-weight bearing, as soon as you go back, because things are so messed up in terms of like sensory feedback, et cetera, that changes everything, doesn't it? Um, it does. yeah. so, so, so much SI joint problems from yeah. like little limps that people don't even recognize. Or yeah. Once there's an injury, like the minute there's an injury, that foot, like everything is just rotated outwards, you know, we yeah. like see that all the time of just like, they're no longer using their foot to push through because yeah. it hurt at some point, but then it just stays forever. Yeah. And <laughs> that um, is a rough one to work out after a few years of doing that. And keeps happening and keeps happening. Exactly. Right. What um, is that stat? It's like, it's very high. It's like 40% likelihood of re-spraining after your first ankle sprain, right? Yeah. Of just like continuous yeah. spraining. So it's something along those lines of just like ridiculous. Oh, there it is. I have a note <laughs> on it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, it's so, so crazy, isn't it? Like how, how quickly, and then same with things like stress fractures, you, you kind of, uh, I, <laughs> you know, kind of without uh, sounding morbid, you get a stress fracture and it's like, 
good luck getting back to running because you're going to get that again. Um, right. Or you're constantly going to be at risk of it. Um, mm-hmm. So the, I suppose the other thing is we'll kind of move on to this idea that um, the tissues need load. So one, one thing that we mention in our hip talk is this idea of your body responds to load and it loves, loves gravitational load and it loves ground reaction force. Um, mm-hmm. And again, sort of just taking a quick diver into sort of scientific literature, we read that force is bad, force leads to overuse injury. And actually we want to minimize as much force as we can, but you look at really good runners have you ever been seen someone run and they just look like they're floating and they're graceful? They are putting right, an absolute they're... shit ton of force through the limb. Um, yeah. But they're placing the foot in an efficient position. So what the foot's able to do is capitalize on all these really, really great innovations like being able to adapt, being able to create a rigid structure. Um, so we actually, we actually like load and the, the tissues respond to load. But um, one of the problems we have in sort of modern societies we sit down a lot and we don't we don't load those nice springy structures in the foot and we definitely don't load the achilles tendon as much because as we as we know in most of our patients the achilles tendon is probably sat in a shitty short position you know the the calves um people are being told their calves are tight when actually they're just not really doing a job anymore they're not really being engaged in propulsion mm-hmm. um, so you've, you've mentioned that tendons need load. So can you talk us through how much load goes through those, those I always call them the juicy tendons because they're so springy and like they give us so much cheap, uh, cheap, cheap, cheap power. energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Energy efficiency. So it's like 30 to 50% is of energy is that, or stress is exerted on the tendons. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how much, how much free energy there is to capture if our muscles and our tendons and everything is lengthened appropriately and, and strong as much as it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and that, so it's transmitted to connective tissue, fascia, all, all of that stuff that we kind of do a very good job of forgetting about. Mm -hmm. And so that's like part of walking and that free energy. And if, I don't think many of us walk very efficiently and yeah. utilize everything that our bodies have really been given. Sadly, yeah. we can produce a lot with really efficient systems. Yeah. And when we don't, we're loading something and what that load is, is becomes pain, right? It's, um, we, we kind of adapted to like the concrete, uh, concrete surfaces, haven't we? And I think that's hugely impacted our ability to walk efficiently Right. Um, so yeah that uh, that that can obviously impact our uh, foot mechanics but yeah we we love load and we we love tissue load as well so this is why I don't like the term tissue strengthening because I don't necessarily think it is about uh like you know the typical way we see strength you train stuff to get stronger uh, I think it's more about teaching your body to respond to the environment and um tension because yeah. as soon as you create that tension in the system it obviously then tensions the tendons, it tensions the fascial system and so on. Um, so uh, if, we, if we move on then, because I know I, I like to waffle and um, I, think, <laughs> I think I keep pulling us off track, so I'm sorry. Fine. <laughs> so we're doing okay. <laughs> we've mentioned ankle sprains and we've mentioned that the changes that occur as a result of um, ankle sprains. So let's, let's go into... Um, a little bit of 
um, to about toe spaces then because that's kind of one thing and I know I can see I've just skipped through gate but I think we've mentioned that quite a bit haven't we mm -hmm. um, so let, I think let's good. go into uh, toe spaces then because I think these are personally I think they're revolutionizing foot, uh, foot health just some, something yeah. that is so simple and like jelly they're right. really useful aren't they um, they are I love them for so everybody <laughs> So can you talk us through what the toe spaces effectively do? And also, have you got like a, a way that you drop them into um, cl like clinical work? Because I give them to everyone now. Even if they yeah, come I, with a shoulder problem, I'm like, hey, have you ever thought about toe spaces? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I get to see their feet, generally I'm not seeing their feet, sadly, if, if they're in for their shoulder. But but I will drop it in if I see something going on there. Yeah. But pretty much everyone I talk about it with, some people you just end up kind of knowing mm -hmm. the buy-in is not there, you know, yeah. and we have to work on them for a little while. Yeah. But most people I'll, I'll at least bring it up and explain the importance of them. And so basically the reason, the point of them is to realign our toes and our feet. And mm -hmm. what that does is allows the right muscles to come on and without them, they're not going to come on unless we're like constantly holding them in the right position while we're doing our exercises or whatever. But yeah. more importantly, you get to wear them all day long. And so automatically your feet are just getting strong just by having the toe spacers on and walking, standing, yeah. loading. Yay. <laughs> I, um, there's a really, again, there's a really nice graded way of um, introducing them, isn't there? So like, for example, if you just wear them passively, of course, it'll change like foot shape. Um, but what I, I don't know about you, but what I find is people who just kind of wear them passively and don't actually load yeah. them while they're wearing them and take them out and they're like, toes are here for about five seconds and go back. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. actually putting them into something dynamic or like you said, getting them to wear them standing or getting mm -hmm. them to do something movement based. Um, yeah. Again, you kind of, you're not necessarily strengthening the muscles just by wearing the, the toe spaces, but you're ultimately teaching the body or rewiring the body to know what it should be doing so right. you're giving them the um cue right? cue yeah yeah exactly exactly um so do you have any specific exercises or things that you get your patients to do with toe spacers um with the toe spacers I'm, so that is like the, the goal is to try to get them to load with the toe spacers. So I will always have them do like squats and heel raises and yeah. single leg balance. Those are probably like the top three that like everybody is going to get. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't go wrong because those are like functional and you need to do all those things. The simple right? for the goodies, right? They're like. Yeah. Yeah. But then once you put those toe spacers on, it's like a little bit of a game changer. Yeah. And th they've gone from a squat of like falling backwards to like being able to squat <laughs> and getting that cue of like use your toes mm -hmm. if they don't have those spacers on they're probably gonna forget all about it again yeah but with the calf raises too you know you see people just kind of like roll to the outside of their feet yeah and the goal when they're ha when they have them on is just push through your big toes use your toes and also don't claw yeah god forbid <laughs> and of course like you know it it helps teach your um patients what a natural oh sorry a um, traditional shoe does to your toes doesn't it because obviously yeah. you've got the toe spaces in you can't then try and jam your foot into a shoe can you because right and they do they still do it's amazing 
And, and when people are so used to being in that jammed shoe, they put them in, they're like, oh no, it fits. It feels good. Like, no, there's no way. Yeah. Get yourself some real shoes that fit and that they fit in and you will, then you'll tell me a different story. My toes have gone numb, but they feel yeah. <laughs> That's not normal. Come on. <laughs> So yeah, it's yeah. a really, really nice way of, like you said, just giving them the right cues in order to switch on the things that they should be switching on or engaging the things that they, they should be um, engaging. Because mm-hmm. um, as we know, when things aren't aligned properly or they're not in an optimal position, then things don't do the job they're meant to do. And then exactly. knee just gets it. The knee is like, guys, come <laughs> on. <laughs> Throw that thing out. <laughs> Uh, cool should we go through some experiments sure yeah Yeah. this is actually i forgot this is an experiment i do with my patients who are like a hard sell (laughs) oh really yeah and it's amazing because sometimes even after that they're like yeah yeah you showed me i know (laughs) like what what more can i do (laughs) it's right there (laughs) that 30 second job you're asking me to do yeah so hard yeah so that experiment you want to talk about that one for yeah. now yeah okay i love this so it's just taking out the shoe insert mm-hmm. of any old shoe usually like a running shoe um put put it on a piece of paper outline it put your foot right on top of that or just um uh, what was i going to say put your foot on top of the shoe insert mm-hmm. and that's a clear enough picture as well to see yeah. where are your feet going and, and obviously try to get your feet to split because that's the thing that people will do they'll put it on and then they let their foot just stay how it would in the shoe and they're like i don't see what the problem is <laughs> like no now display put the toes spacers on there's no way they're gonna fit <laughs> um, <laughs> i can't feel my toes but honestly it fits fine it's no problem um <laughs> it reminds me of cinderella <laughs> Um, and I see you've put a link to toe space, which we'll add to the uh, to the notes. Um, there's also obviously things like toe yoga, and this is one of my favourites. So, for example, you know, like trying to lift the big toe with the or put the big toe down with the smaller toes lifted, and vice versa. And I don't yeah. know about you, but when I first sort of started practicing these and trying to move my move my toes and uh, differentiate between toe movement, I'd sit and I'd like will my little toe to move because my little toe was just like just sitting there i don't know what you want me to do and my right. big toe like ah but little <laughs> toe, I'd like you know you kind of come on just move move yeah and it took me a little while to train that train that movement and train it to move um and it's it's a weird sensation isn't it because you know like when we go through normal exercise you go arm bend boom i know how to do that like it doesn't yeah. really take much thinking power but because we've had years of feet being squashed into shoes really yeah. takes some concentration initially to get the toes moving doesn't it it does and to just tell somebody that yeah you are supposed to be able to move your toes you're like i can't do that i don't think i can do that <laughs> but you're supposed to be able to do it <laughs> that's <Try>. fun <laughs> <laughs> so doing things like um yoga and and also being able to move the big toe whilst the little toes stay down and then lift the little toes while the big toe stays down are really nice examples of just being able to retrain um basic movement um but we've also got things like 
the beam challenges and I think the starting point is obviously just trying to stand on the beam because initially if you've been um, in kind of normal shoes or like more traditional shoes for a long time even that by itself can feel quite uncomfortable can't it because you're trying to get used to where the load needs to be on the foot and also get used to be on a sort of a rigid or hard surface and I remember yeah. the first time doing some of those beam challenges and having so much weight shifted back onto my heel and thinking that really hurts my heel um, yeah. and it kind of teaches you to to shift your weight a little bit into a bit more of a optimal position on the foot doesn't it yeah and it kind of points out like for me I noticed um it was like my fourth mpj <laughs> on my right foot would always, it would be so tender because that one is still dropped a little bit. Yeah. Still working on that little <laughs> bugger <laughs> to try to work it out. But it's good because those, just being on that hard, weird surface that it's not used to, it points out like all your, your lack of mobility or your over mobility, whatever yeah. you need to work on. Yeah. Um, I actually think, you know, even as a starting point, if someone's new on their like foot journey is just placing the foot on lots of different surface types and yeah. um, getting being barefoot. Yeah. Getting them to close their eyes, getting them to kind of have a, have a feel about or get in touch with what that sensation feels like. You know, what's it feel like when I'm on hard floor versus carpet. Um, I've seen people make their own mats out of like pebbles they've taken off the beach and things like that. So you oh, might want to cool. go to, to that extreme. Um, or like you said, just being out, out and about and being, uh, in um, you kind of being barefoot on different surfaces outside. Right. Um, the other thing, obviously, is changing footwear. And again, I've seen you put some links up to different uh, different footwear uh, websites. So we've obviously got the TFC shop. And then, oh, tell us a bit about the foot health kit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is my oh. own health kit that that I've made for people. It just includes like the mobility ball, the bands for the big toes mm -hmm. to keep them aligned when you're doing your, your work, um, toe spacers, what else in there? And like a band to do like your flexor, flexor and extensor ex exercises. That's really so, cool. Yeah. Whoa. A fun little kit. <laughs> See now, if that was me, what I would do, someone would come into a shoulder, for a shoulder, I'd be going, have you thought about a foot health kit? <laughs> <laughs> They could probably benefit, chances are. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Ankle sprain you had 20 years ago, you say. Have you thought about a foot health? Yeah, and then I think just knowing it, because there are so many brands of natural footwear now, I think now people don't know what their foot shape is, which is just one extra thing to think about. Because um, I've got like plenty of barefoot shoes now, and some some are good and some aren't so good just because of how my foot is you know yeah. I'm sure you found the same thing yeah definitely um and actually I think for for me the hardest thing is getting the width right like some of them are still uh too narrow whereas others I've found are really wide and it kind of causes my foot to slide around in the shoe a little bit um yeah. so yeah there's lo lots of different brands um I really like Anya's reviews on yeah. Instagram because she generally just uh has some really cool um reviews of different different fo footwear types and also different right. brands and i think if you're new new to this you kind of don't want to go down the five finger route she kind of takes you through different types of office shoes and things like that doesn't she so right big fan of that what, is there one shoe that you kind of always go to for people right away 
Um, I really love Zero Shoes. I yeah. think they're a really, really great brand. Um, they have created just such a good range of different um, trainers. I, obviously, kind of being someone who's active in, in coaching as well, my kind of main business is trainers or my like, you know, kind of main thing I look for is, is trainers. And I think uh, Zero do a really, really nice series of shoes. And they're really, they're, they've... They're pretty they're affordable well, too. Yeah, exactly. They're well considered. They're really well made. And there's so much great stuff on the website to help people understand how to best size the shoe and things like that. So I just think they're a fantastic, um, yeah. fantastic brand. Uh, the other thing is I always buy for myself and I've got long distance races. I always buy ultras, which have a little bit more cushioning in them, but for yeah. I've not quite made, made it to doing an ultra distance in a completely minimalist Ooh. shoe. Um, not quite right. there yet. Um, but yeah, ultra has like zero drop, They've got an amount of cushioning, but generally, again, they've got a wide toe box. Because that's the thing you find with a lot of um, sort of uh, shoes that are considered minimalist running trainers. The toe box is so narrow. Um, Yeah, they all taper. Not one of them doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, I think my, I usually put people in ultras right away mm -hmm. because people are just usually so nervous about, I mean, these are like typical people. They're not like athletes really yeah um but it just gives them like that sense of like oh I still have cushion (laughs) and they can like come down from there eventually but it's usually a good place to start if somebody has not changed at all if they're like wearing a a typical running shoe all the time yeah that's where I would point somebody if anybody's wondering it's important isn't it because I think if you kind of go to someone oh you know you're a runner just go for go for a minimalist shoe straight away they're obviously going to come back to you injured at some point because there needs to be that that period of adaptation doesn't there so yeah I think ouches are nice in between um it is yeah it's a good transition shoe yeah yeah exactly or if you're running 5,000 miles (laughs) also a good option and I was I was laughing when we were talking about ankle sprains and sorry if I started laughing on screen the reason I was laughing was because um I had a race a couple of years ago it was 109 miles and it was like across different terrains and things and I actually sprained my ankle falling (laughs) (laughs) falling into a ditch running away from cows so (laughs) (laughs) that's not embarrassing Oh, by that point, oh, that's I, great. I didn't care. I was, I was so tired by that point. I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Leave me in the ditch. <laughs> Wait, what mile were you at? Oh, I think I was at about, uh, must have been around 65. Oh my gosh. Did you finish? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you ran like another 30, 40 miles on a sprained ankle. Run, running is very loose. <laughs> it was more You're briskly a, walking. More of a fast hike. <laughs> <laughs> oh well i hope you rehabbed your ankle well <laughs> oh always um but yeah you know I'm, I'm there with you on the ankle sprains i've been there <laughs> yeah yeah they're pesky <laughs> yeah well cows are as well and cows, <laughs> cows always root me out they always they smell my fear <laughs> we have that problem around here i just don't understand it as much <laughs> The, the other thing um, is, like, have you have you ever ran barefoot? Have you ever tried it on different terrains? Yeah, it's really great, isn't it? Like, such a 
just a sensory overload it's really i find yeah. it freeing and empowering i don't know how else to describe it it just feels so nice doesn't it it's true yeah it is it can also be a little painful here and there but yeah. i have like a ton of like rocky dirt roads so <laughs> yeah. and i'm still amazed by people who run things like boston marathon barefoot because that's just pure yeah. concrete hell isn't it yeah that just doesn't seem right that's not natural no you know 26 miles on on other terrain fine but yeah yeah i'd be too worried about like con i don't know dog poo and needle yeah this is true <laughs> i think they clear the course pretty well i have run that marathon before but <laughs> i'm talking about that, that place generally <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stand up for Boston. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, um, oh, yeah you're right. <laughs> I just couldn't. I don't think. I think I would end up with like a stress fracture or something from running on that. Definitely stress fractures. That's all I would think about. Yeah. Um, they've adapted. Same. Yeah, yeah, and they always look like they have really strong feet as well, don't they? Like super. Oh yeah. Feet. Totally. What a nice place to finish. Don't. Yeah. Worry. Dog poo and needles, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone have a wonderful day now. Yeah. <laughs> Key things from today. The foot's really cool. Um, yep. It is cool super stuff. cool, everybody. Yeah. It's got a super cool shock absorber, too, called the Calcaneus with its fat yeah. pad. <laughs> cool. Um, train it. Always train the foot. Yes. And wear your toe spaces. Never stop training. Wear your toe spaces, but not in normal shoes. Yes. <laughs> um, All right. Great stuff. 